I'm Mark Kermode and I listen to the movie Bunker Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker Podcast. It's episode 29 with me, Matt. Hey, it's me, Chris. Hey, Chris. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yes, I'm fine. How have you been? Not too bad, thank you very much. So today is our interview and top five special. Yes, I like the top fives now. So yeah, this week I spoke to Clarice Lockery, who's a culture reporter for The Independent. It's a really good chat about her film, her guilty pleasure was The Wicker Man. Uh, the remake, I'm assuming. The remake, the Nick yeah. Cage remake, yeah, which is uh, an absolute doozy. So, yeah, we had a great fun, and you did uh, quite a challenging top five. Yes, I did the Disney movies that I wanted to see turned into feature length. Well, they call them live action. They're not, are they? They're just, they're just posher cartoons than they used to be. So, yeah, I guess yeah. so. Live action with loads of CGI elements to it. So it's kind of, yeah, a remake, isn't it, essentially? Yeah, it's just, a, like I say, they say they're live action, but like they, Jungle Book, and all live action versus Jungle Book. It's not that. I know tigers can't talk. I'm not a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, anyway, it was a challenge. Enjoy the interview and enjoy the top five, and we'll catch you at the end. Hi and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. It's me, Chris, and today I'm delighted to be joined by the culture reporter for The Independent and substitute teacher for the BBC Radio 5 live film show and That Darn Movie Show, a weekly review uh, channel on YouTube. It's Clarice Lockery. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well, very well, thank you. Thanks for joining me um, in the bunker. I am so excited. <laughs> so excited to talk about this film. Well, you've picked a doozy for us. What's the film you've chosen to dissect? It's The Wicker Man. Of course, the Nicolas Cage version of The Wicker Man. Yeah, old the... Nick doing his turn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just the most beautiful disaster, mm. which I know it, it's... Because I had difficulty deciding a film that like was critically reviled, but that I could genuinely defend. But if I had to save a film from destruction, it would genuinely be this movie, The Wicker Man, because I have watched it maybe 15 times. It brings Trifle. me so much joy. I can't <laughs> even start to describe it. And in a way, it's so awful to me that watching it makes me appreciate the art of cinema because I've seen how bad it can get that yeah. now everything else I feel very thankful for. Like a mediocre film, I'm like, I'm thankful for you because you have a plot <laughs> and, and lines of dialogue connect to each other. Like, I'm so thankful for this. You compare this to another film and it will immediately make something stand out in a different way or be seen in a completely different light. Yeah. <laughs> How did your sort of route into film journalism begin? What, was you, what, what, what inspired you to start talking about films or getting into them? It's odd because I I always knew I wanted to do something with the film industry, like since I was a small child and I, I just grew up. I think because I was an only child, I, I was also pretty dorky, dorky. I didn't really have that many friends. And so my friends were all inside of the TV screen or inside of the cinema screen. And so I had sort of, felt such a connected to it's, I felt such a connection to the world of film and I felt so close to 
this whole medium that I, I just knew I wanted to do something, something film related. And mm. so for a long time, I thought, oh, I want to be an actress or maybe like a writer or something. And I was starting to drift that way. And I was very bad at it. So I, <laughs> I went, that's okay. That's not the right thing. But um, in the meantime, I had started writing film reviews for my university school newspaper and I as the more I started to do it the more I was like okay I kind of feel like maybe I have something to contribute here and so I just I sort of kept doing it and then after I graduated I I started writing to editors and just doing more and more of it and it was an odd thing I, I don't know if I ever had a moment where I really decided I'm going to be a film critic but the more I did it, the more it felt right. I felt like I finally am contributing to the world in a constructive way, as opposed to when I was doing everything else that I was just like, I'm wasting everybody's time. And so I feel like, <laughs> at least with film criticisms, criticism, I don't feel like I'm always wasting everybody's time. There's a film that came out on Friday, which is caused yeah, some <laughs> really? not quite prevalent, I think, uh, <laughs> conversation. But what do you think of all this um, crazy stuff? <laughs> uh, in terms of specifically Captain Marvel or just criticism in general? Well, actually, both would be quite good to get your opinion on. I mean, I guess the Captain Marvel thing is something that just I keep reading about and don't understand. But um, yeah, but the, the volume, I guess, of criticism... Yeah, I think I, I, for me, feel like the role of the critic has changed a little bit. And I think if film criticism not only wants to survive, but thrive in the future, I think what the critic now might be better suited at being is less a decider of taste, like an arbitrator of taste, and more a conversation starter and a way to sort of gather the mass of opinions in a place where it feels a little bit more constructive it gives it a little more direction because I think you know on Twitter it is you know everyone can voice their opinion but I think what makes a film critic stand out is that their opinion is constructed in a way that it makes you think about the film in a different light or it, it makes you see a different perspective or it or puts into words something that you felt but you didn't know quite how to say it I think that to me is when I see really good film criticism it's not oh this person has decided for me whether the film is good or bad yeah. it's more oh this person's really made me think about this film whether I've seen it or not this person's really sort of widened my view on it or or just I don't know given me something given me like a fuel yeah. <laughs> a fuel to, to sort of carry on my my thought process about a film so I, I think that's the way we need to frame it because as well people, you know, this whole thing with people getting so furious because critics don't like a film or they, they like a film that they hate, you know, maybe with Captain Marvel, is we need to view it less as that kind of weird divisive, like this idea that critics are telling you what to go watch. I would never presume myself like so fantastic in my taste levels that I can just tell people, yes, this film is officially good. This film is officially terrible. I just yeah. see myself as, look, I'm just giving my opinion. I, I hope that it's an interesting opinion and that even if you agree or disagree with it, it, you know, you feel like 
it feels worthwhile to read it, I guess. Your take on something and your uh, approach to a film would be very different to say Mark Kermode would say that because you, you know, you, you're often on that show. Um, and so the tonally, you get a very different type of review, which is actually, it's quite palate cleansing for that particular show. Sometimes it's quite refreshing to get different takes from different voices. Yeah. And I think it's, it's nice to explore a little bit and, and try and read as many different critics as you can. And, and there'll just be certain people that you, when you read their work, you go, oh, I really feel like I understand this critic and I understand mm. this person and I understand their worldview. And sometimes that's just really nice to have someone who sort of almost sees your world in, in the same way. And so how did your show, uh, that darn movie show on YouTube start? What was that? How did that uh, seed grow? I think it really just came from the idea that I had this vague acting and I did a lot of comedy at university. I had this vague acting comedy background and I was trying to, to think of a way that, you know, because film criticism is, criticism is so competitive and, and you really have to just do everything and anything to stand out of the field. And I think that was the one thing I knew that might be different about me is that, okay, well, I have this, this vague performing background so I thought mm. how can I blend the two maybe videos and also I to be honest I, I watch quite a lot of YouTube and I, I kind of see that side of the community and, and what almost what you can do with that platform is that you can express yourself in a different way that you could never express on a page and I like the ability to go on camera and just be a little bit more personal because I think in terms of written reviews or even I think on the radio sometimes you have to to have quite an authoritative tone you do have to kind of go yes this film is like this and really back it up when when I'm on YouTube I can be like hey I really like this movie because I'm this kind of person and so this movie is great for me because for example I love period films and I just want to be honest about that and say like if you put Keira Knightley in a corset I'm gonna I want to turn up for that and I want to mm. see that and I feel like that's another issue with criticism is that we don't really account for personal taste. And I think we should really embrace that. Like if you love, if you just love a good Karen Knightley in a corset movie, like you should just be able to be like, yes, I yeah. love this movie because it is my jam and not to, to be ashamed of that. Or if you, you know, you love vampire movies, you're like, mm. I'm just, this is getting five stars for me because <laughs> it has all the things I love. It's got mm. vampires with leather jackets ding 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 and I think that's the nice thing about YouTube is that I feel a little bit more free to to be honest about the kind of person I am I guess but is there is there anything in the last couple maybe last year in the beginning of this year that's you've been really looking forward to I asked this question to quite a lot of my guests actually and and, and that's disappointed you because we talk a lot about I mean, our USP or that is is critically panned films that's what we're here to talk about ultimately but what what were you looking forward to that didn't disappointed you ultimately is what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way in the last year yeah Ooh, maybe last, last year was year. pretty good for me I have okay <laughs> the most I have ever been disappointed by that I mean this is a long time ago this is long before I, I did any criticism is that I grew up with just such a deep love of Tim Burton because I was kind of a a slightly gothy weirdo no friend person so all I did was watch Tim Burton movies and I also grew up Alice Wonderland was my favorite book growing up and so obviously when that Disney live action 
Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movie was announced, I remember thinking so distinctly, this is going to be the greatest film ever made. And I was so convinced in my mind that this was going to be the greatest cinematic masterpiece in <laughs> like Casablanca. I just, yeah, I really remember that feeling of sitting in the film because when you really want to love something, it's hard to, it's a horrible feeling when you're mm. in the cinema just having this wave of realization of like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> what do I do now? Yeah. And I think especially because I wasn't a critic, I was still like a fan, I guess. And I really wanted to still like it. And I remember coming out being like, the 3D effects were good. <laughs> I liked when the, the, the rabbit threw the teacup and it really felt like the teacup was coming at me. <laughs> so I think, yeah, sorry, that's not for the last year, but it's always been no, it's my, fine. my clearest memory of feeling great disappointment with something. <laughs> Let's get to the crux of the podcast and let's talk about The Wicker Man. Yes. Edward, I know that we haven't spoken in a few years. I need your help. I need your help. I have a daughter. Her name is Rowan. She has been missing for two weeks now. I fear she is in danger, so now I turn to you. Be careful and believe nothing that you see or hear. 2006. <laughs> oh, no, well, we'll try. We'll try and get through it. Uh, 2006. This is point out. This is the remake, not the the seminal original uh, movie that w came out in the 60s or 70s, um, which I I have to admit I've never seen. So I'm aware of its presence. I'm aware that it's a big deal and it's fairly seminal in terms of its you know influence. 3.7 on the IMDb, which uh, is pretty low. But um, you you really love this film. I cannot defend it artistically i just wanted to choose it because i would be so distraught if this film stopped existing one day mm. i would be genuinely distraught i have seen it maybe 15 times i'm obsessed with it i'm like you know when in movies they like people get obsessed with conspiracy theories and then they start the thing on the wall and they they put the pins and the strings and they start trying to connect yes. everything together that's me with the Wicker Man because <laughs> every scene that's the thing everyone's very used to watching the YouTube compilations of him shouting like no no not the bees and how did it get burned but the, the thing with the Wicker Man is that that's okay that's just one part of it the entire film is nonsensical every scene has something really weird and really off about it to the point that sometimes I'm like maybe this is on purpose maybe this is some weird there's like a hidden code inside and if you crack the code then I don't know you find the holy grail <laughs> then that's how you find it you have to put to link all the bees together and then it will give you the location <laughs> of the holy grail like that's how I feel about it it's such a a fascinating mystery to when me. did when did you first see this and, and get to this uh um, unwinding this film or un unraveling its its uh, pleasures. <laughs> I watched it at university. I can't I can't remember what actually triggered it, but I remember watching it and then just that's all I watched for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> and like me and my friends just developed this very intense fascination with it. And with Nicolas Cage, we. Um, had this party where we we just watched Nicolas Cage movies for just 24 hours straight. Yeah. And 
that was the closest to madness I've ever gotten. I just, well, interesting. <laughs> he gives this role, um, he, I mean, he gets, I get the impression that he gives the majority of his roles, you know, 100%. Um, but this one is very, it's, it's pure Nicolas Cage, isn't it? Because it, he is channeling something. He always seems to channel some sort of um, strange uh, energy. Um, we, we reviewed for the podcast the Ghost Rider film from 20, 2007, which is a very similar in terms of him, you know, his characteristics and his, the persona that he, he delivers on screen is very, very out there. And you get the same impression with this one. He's on the edge of madness all the time. Yeah, well, what's interesting is that for a large chunk of the film, it seems like he was just woken up right before they started rolling because there's this sort of, <laughs> this like grumpy irritation to him because so much of the film is women say very weird things at him and then he goes, I don't understand, I'm lost. <laughs> what? Who? <laughs> Rowan's what? What? <laughs> That's like maybe 60% of his lines is just a variation on sorry what <laughs> so most of the film is that he just seems very tired and, and, and then yes there's just there's just this moment maybe three it must be three quarters in where suddenly the dial switches and he just becomes like a violent like <laughs> rampage man and the film does a terrible job of actually like building up to this point because he's just very tired 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 oh just punching people now he's just, <laughs> women. He's just this is what he's doing now so that's yeah i i i don't know if that <laughs> in their heads they thought this was some build up to madness yeah but it doesn't work because there's loads of signposts in the film that make you think it's going in a certain direction like um is it a dream like you know is he having flashbacks or is it is it all concocted is he asleep is he dreaming because he keeps waking up every time he goes underwater or he gets he gets a little bit wet he has these kind of flashy back type situations but um it does take a different turn towards the end and i i could say i i genuinely didn't see the twist coming i don't know whether i was doing whether i was not really paying much attention but i i was genuinely surprised by the route it took but i don't think you can guess the twist because the film throws out so many possibilities that even though I have watched it so many times, I, could, I couldn't tell you what the film actually means or how, what the actual real story of the film is because it's just every scene is a red herring mm. in a way. And so you get to the end and you're like, yes, I see that that this part makes sense and this part makes sense, but what about this half hour where things completely unrelated to the ending happened? Mm. Yeah. To set it out for anybody who's not seen it, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't say don't see it. It's not a film that I would, you know, warn against it. I would say watch it for the experience if you're like a Nick Cage completionist. I think it's a, definitely one to see. Um, and just to see the extremes of, like... <laughs> cinema from good to bad but anyone who's not seen it it's it's loosely based i guess on the original worker man where he's 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 gone to investigate a disappearance of a uh of what is his ex-wife's or ex-girlfriend's daughter it turns out to be his daughter that he didn't know about he seems 
quite okay with that to in the film to be honest once his dad's secrets let out um and he's sort of just in this very strange island which is um like a neo what a pagan community where they do like the sort of sacrifices in that kind of unravels and to correct one thing it's a big point that the woman is his ex-fiance because when he first reveals this fact he goes oh we were engaged Yes, we were close, as if <laughs> that needed clarifying. Ah, uh, oh, yes, dear. a close engagement, as opposed to those <laughs> casual engagements of acquaintances, yes. Sorry, but, that's just one of my favourite lines. Yeah, but it, we turns, it, it turns out that, um, obviously, his, his daughter, Rowan, who, who he's looking for, who he believes is, is either been sacrificed or, or going to be sacrificed, um, isn't going to be sacrificed and he was lured there by a very uh in-depth plan by everybody involved but i don't understand it, were the the girls that were potentially uh, sacrificed previously were they still sacrificed or was that just just an, another a more elaborate plan for him to be hoodwinked i don't think so <laughs> you can never be quite sure what happened in this movie but my understanding is that the little girls that this Thing that happens this plot happens over and over and over again mm. like either every year or every time the harvest fails because what's very key is that i'm imagining the version you saw didn't have the six months later oh. scene at the very end did it no no because <laughs> <laughs> there's more <laughs> so if you buy it on on blu-ray or, or dvd it just he he's in the wicker man and yes. it ends but there was a theatrical version which first off doesn't include the the bees in the face scene if oh. i can describe that accurately it doesn't have that oh no not the bees not the bees ah! oh, no, my eyes but ah! ah! <laughs> also has a, a an almost sort of epilogue scene where it's six months later and James Franco is in a bar, then joined by Jason Ritter, and then oh, they're just talking about something. <laughs> and <then laughs> they turn around and it's the two women from the island. And oh. they're back they're trying to, to, to get impregnated by these two men so they can... Well, not, not, not the two old blind ladies, the twins. No. Because <laughs> that would be... That's a stretch. That's a stretch. <laughs> It's Willow Woodward, so it's the the mother of Nick Nicholas Cage's daughter. Okay. And then that weird woman who is just giggles every time he asks her a question. Oh, the one that's quite a good uh, good at, good with a um, punching. She's a good uh, a martial yeah, artist. Yeah, yeah. It's the cat. It's played by she's played by Lily Sobeski, and she is maybe one of the weirdest characters because she she's just very flirty with Nicolas Cage throughout the whole film and mm. then just like ninja attacks him at the end. <laughs> Sister Honey she plays, is that? Yeah, yeah which I would love to know like what she was told her motivation was. Yeah, wow. But I, I tell you... Very attracted to him, very socially attracted to Okay, now you want to karate chop him in the face. <laughs> well, and she's wearing or is going to wear that giant bear costume that he uh, manages to steal it towards the end to infiltrate the 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 the, the ceremony. <laughs>
Yes. Oh no, that's the older woman. This is the younger woman. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. The, oh, is that her costume? Was it? I missed that. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the older woman is trying to put on the bear costume, and then they're just yeah. making fun of her because it's like, oh, it seems to be getting smaller every year. <laughs> <laughs> What a time to joke. You're about to burn a man and a wicker man. <laughs> Making fat jokes at this poor woman. You bitches! This is murder! Murder! You'll all be guilty! And you're doing it for nothing! Killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey! It, it is it's confusing. I did feel a little bit um, intimidated and, and a bit uneasy throughout the film. I wasn't expecting to feel a bit... Uh, it did... It did it did affect me in a way. I, I didn't uh, scoff the, all the way through. There is sinister bits in it and there is a sense of foreboding throughout it because you know, ultimately, if you've watched the original, what's going to happen, but how it gets there and the time it takes to get there um, puts you a little bit on edge because I'm not really a horror fan. I, I like odd bits of horror if it's done nicely, but I'm, it's not a genre I go to. So I do feel anxious watching this type of film. And it was. Um, it did. It did. It did get me a little bit spooked in points because I, I kind of knew what was going to happen. Mm, and I think one really odd thing about the film is that the the score is by Angelo Badalamenti, who who did Twin Peaks, and so there is uh. something very eerie about it because it's got this like this almost Twin Peaks esque mm. music to it. So you almost don't know what is in unintentional comedy and what is just there to be eerie and be strange. Yeah. It's, it's a bit, it was a bit odd watching this on International Women's Day because it's, it seemed to be very appropriate because <laughs> the cast is, is all women. It was just all evil and all evil, evil be women. <laughs> They're all bees and women, <laughs> evil bees, women. <laughs> And also, I found it a little bit like a metaphor for Brexit um, with the fact that they're on an island and the only way they can get uh, supplies there is by a tiny plane. <laughs> That's true. I thought you were going to go further be like, the only way we'll get through Brexit is if we wicker man somebody every year. <laughs> well, potentially, who knows? Uh, oh, we no. don't know, do we? But, you know, I felt very uh, like, you know, Theresa May is the, the head, the high priestess or Sister Summer's Summer Isle and um, we're all, everyone else just doing her bidding and we get the odd biplane coming in every now and again with a couple of tins of tomatoes. One of my favourite bits of the film is uh, Nicolas Cage furiously pedalling around the island on this dodgy uh, push bike. <laughs> very strange that he's just given a a bike and then a, a big one of the big scares of the film is that he he starts to run around some of the houses looking for this child yes. <laughs> and he's running he's kicking all, kicking all the doors down and then he comes back and the bike is gone <laughs> <laughs> and there's this this extreme musical cue it's like da 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 <laughs> like the bike's gone no how will he get around this island this tiny island now when he doesn't have his bike the the bike is not, um, I mean, it's not built for that bike. It's not, he hasn't even bothered to change the saddle height or anything. So um, he just looks really comedic. Um. We should point out that also that he acquires the bike by pointing a gun at a woman and saying, <laughs> give me the bike. <laughs> because so much of this film is just, he sees something weird and he pulls his gun out and goes, 
don't do anything or I will shoot you. <laughs> Step away from the bike. <laughs> There's a couple of bits as well where he's, he's always getting wet. So he, he, I don't, I'm not sure the timeline, how long he's there for. Maybe it's one night or two nights because he, he's very often wet and, then, and running around in wet clothing as well, I've noticed. And it's a bit where he tries, he, he goes down a hole, he lifts up a gate and he goes in and he's trying to find, he sees the, like um, a floaty image of this girl he's looking for. And then someone closes the gate behind him, one of the bee ladies, um, the stealthy bee ninjas. Well, we don't know it's a bee lady. It could be a bee. We never see who it is. (laughs) There's big bees on this island and they're all, all the bees are coming together to form a person. That's what I I always think is going to happen every time I watch it is that the reveal will actually be that all these women are just lots of bees (laughs) inside human costumes, like the bear costume. It's all human costumes. It's just loads of bees. This is a nightmare. This is a nightmare <laughs> waiting to happen. Um, yeah. but, but why? Why would they try and drown him and kill him if he if he's if he's there to be ultimately sacrificed at the end? It's another red herring, I guess. Yeah, and what I find so odd about that scene is that he he sleeps an entire he falls asleep while <laughs> up to his neck in water with one hand hanging out of the grate, yeah. and spends an entire night and just wakes up in the morning going. Oh, I just slept in a box, which I've never heard of happening. I've never heard of this being a thing. I don't think, can the human body sleep in sleep? He's gone through a lot at this stage. I think he's, I think it's pure exhaustion and uh, mental fatigue. What the hell is going on? But he he seems completely unfazed. But when he's eventually let out by his uh, ex-fiance, he puts on his marvellous jacket with the uh, leather elbow pads. Um, which is another thing I noticed. I'm not sure why, but his jacket was great. Yeah, off he goes on his bike, pedaling towards the next point of interest. What a strange Although, film. it's not... Before that, he he takes the, the burnt-up doll that he finds in what is meant to be his daughter's grave yes. and shakes it in this woman's face. <laughs> why did it get burned? How 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 did it get burned? I don't know! Tell me! <laughs> which he at this point thinks that the daughter has been ritualistically burnt yes which would be an odd why did this get burnt well surely no (laughs) (laughs) why would this be the question how did this doll get burnt if i find out how this doll doll was burnt then i shall know the answer to my question so Okay, so when do you think you'll watch this film again? I mean, is it something that you'll go back to in the next <laughs> six months or so? Is it on? Is it a regular thing for you, or, or is it? Have you done, have you made your peace with it? And and obviously that's it now. You've analysed it enough. I think I've watched it so many times that it's inside of my brain. Because <laughs> I I rewatched it today to to what I thought was going to be refresh my memory, but as I was watching it. I realized that I could remember every single part of it. Yeah. <laughs> every single line, every single weird moment. I was like, of course, oh, this is the bit where, this is the bit where he shakes the doll in the woman's face. <laughs> yeah. Here he goes. The, it's the bit where he goes in the classroom with all the children and he goes, hi, I'm a policeman. <laughs> That's the other and, bit was very unnerving. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, he goes from, talking to the children like he's like a clown being like hello kids 
<laughs> and then suddenly he goes like, I would like to know wherefore the whereabouts of this child are. <laughs> Will you tell us what man represents in his purest form? Yes. Phallic symbol, phallic symbol. <laughs> How dare you stand there and frighten my children? Sorry, I'm Edward Malus from California. I'm a policeman. See my badge? Choose a, a way to treat these children, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Either as an adult or as a clown entertainer. He comes in like a psychotic supply teacher and tries to write his name on the blackboard and gets distracted or by something else. It does, is his name Wood, Woodward or something? Or is the school called something? Is, it like a, is that supposed to be a homage to Edward Woodward? Yeah, well, it's if you combine his first name is Edward and uh, her last name is Woodward. So right. If you combine the two. <laughs> but I feel like we shouldn't point that out because Edward Woodward would feel sad to be associated <laughs> with this. So. I, I know it seems it seems inappropriate to do that. Yeah. Um. So okay. So in in favorite scene then and uh, of the film, what's the what's the scene that brings you most joy? Oh, <laughs> such a hard question. Sorry. I quite like the little moments. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I know the I know the. The, you know, the bees are the bees, not the bees scene is so semi-iconic at this point. But I've always had a love for, for just the... What I really love is when he goes upstairs to... So he has an allergy to bees. This is the big thing about the movie, is that Nicolas Cage's character is allergic to bees, which is problematic when he comes to an island that is nothing <laughs> but bees. Really makes you wonder why he made this decision. And so he goes upstairs into his room to check on his EpiPens mm. and they say like be Epi which I don't know <laughs> I this is something I really want to know people who are allergic like very very allergic to bees and need EpiPens surely the EpiPens don't say be Epi on them as <laughs> if it's like the bee specific EpiPen <laughs> yeah don't worry be Epi um... yeah I like that and I also like his he also has these tapes because he we assume he is suffering from some kind of PTSD from a, a traumatic incident. Yes. He has these therapy tapes that say everything's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cover is just a guy in a suit with like his arms up going, yeah, <laughs> everything's fine. And then someone steals his tapes. And so he's wandering around the inn going, have you seen my tapes? Where are my tapes? <laughs> and I just love that because if you were trying to, to, like mentally manipulate this man the idea that the first thing you would do would be to take his tapes <laughs> if he doesn't have his everything's okay tapes that's the start of him going downhill that is the route to madness if you yeah. take a man's audio tapes maybe that's my favorite moment because that's the most useless moment of the yeah. film and it's it that's the first what that is meant to be the first thing that triggers us to the idea that they're trying to manipulate him is that they take his tapes yeah i think for me it's the classroom scene is for me probably one of the best scenes it sets out his his character and the just the way he can he can turn on a dime you know how he how he can talk and react because he does does he point the gun at the teacher as well in, in front of the kids and stuff as well and I, I think he does, or maybe just in... I don't think he does. He no, points I mean, the gun at the teacher when he steals the bike because the teacher has right. a bike. Yes, and she plays two roles, doesn't she, that character? She's 
Molly Parker. She plays Sister Rose and Sister Thorn, which is a nice little uh, um, yeah. connection there. But yeah, I think that's my favourite scene. Also, the begin, the right at the beginning where he he, he lands on the island straight uh, in the beginning, and um, the the leaking bag. <laughs> your, ba- your bag is leaking. What's that? A shark? <laughs> What's in the bag? A shark or something? Uh, what what is in the bag? I mean, is it a is it a person? Or is it's it a presumably shark? meant to be a person, which I find he's a terrible policeman. Mm. Like he seems a human-shaped person, <laughs> human-shaped bag that is bleeding. <laughs> and he goes to look at what's in the bag, and then they do a little like boo. <laughs> <laughs> and then he never thinks, actually, stop. I do actually, I do need to see what is in that bag because seriously, let's have a look in the bag. Come on, it's odd to be carrying a shark for no reason please can i we the film could have been half an hour long if he looked in the bag oh that's a dead man okay i think i figured it out yeah oh god for me it's not it's not going in the bunker okay i think it should go in the louvre to be honest (laughs) for posterity I just think if you have seen The Wicker Man, you just, I, you appreciate cinema because yes. you've seen how low it can go. Yeah. And <laughs> Suicide Squad is a masterpiece compared to The Wicker Man. Because <laughs> sometimes when the characters speak to each other, I know what they're saying. It's what I imagine that if I went to, to Burning Man and I took, some random, you know, I took whatever they take in Burning Man. Probably I imagine not. that's what I would see <laughs> is the yeah. Wicker Man. I would have a full vision of just the entire running time of the Wicker Man because that's how it feels to me. It feels yeah. like, it doesn't feel like a film. It feels like a hallucination of a film. I only watched it Friday, but it has stayed with me. The bees, I'll never forget. Um, and I'll always look at bees in a different way, considering the fact that, you know, I won't maybe look at a beekeeper in the same way based on what you said about maybe they are bees in, you know, combining to make a human. Uh, that, that's something that's, that's quite nightmarish in itself. So thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so you sent me a challenge for a future episode. It would be quite nice. If you've got any kind of critical stinkers that you might think we could tackle in the future to try and find something good to say about? To put you on the spot again. <laughs> One I was thinking of, but it's almost like it's not exciting enough to actually oh. choose for an episode. But I, for some reason, I mean, just huge fan of the the Antoine Fuqua uh, King Arthur that came out in, I think, 2004, 2005 with Keira Knightley and Clive Owen. Yes. And it's a, a re-envisioning of the King Arthur myth in like late Roman era Britain. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. But I love to watch that film. Yeah, I've never seen it either, so that's a good choice. Um, it had a lot of they, they 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 played around a lot with obviously the myth, which you would do uh, clearly. Um, but I remember the, the I remember at the time there was a lot of um, issues around the posters and stuff like that as well, if I remember rightly. Oh, because Kira Knightley is just wearing she's just wearing a belt in that's that. Right. I mean, she's not, she doesn't have a costume. They just smacked a belt over her chest, and that's mm-hmm. the costume. And then. For the poster, they did a little bit of Photoshop to accentuate yeah. the cleavage, which was pretty awful. Yeah. But 
We're used the to that film doesn't do that. That's not on the film. <laughs> That's no. on the, the people advertising the film. But the um, film is respectful to the fact that she's just worried about. <laughs> it's very matter of fact. I'm going to put it on the list. It's definitely one I think we've looked at in the past. We've got a very long list to get through. And I don't know how long we can physically do the podcast for before we start to think about maybe watching some decent films. And because uh, <laughs> it takes up a lot of time. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to put it on there. So. Thank you ever so much for choosing that one. And thanks for talking to me about The Wicker Man. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you for letting me come. And so <laughs> I feel like, I do feel like a conspiracy theorist. I've just come on here and talked absolute nonsense at you. But, but this is I'm what sorry. it's all about. No, no, it may, it, it's <laughs> something nights are all about. And what, what can we, what can we, where can we find you online and, and your various uh, endeavors and channels? Uh, so on YouTube, That Don Movie Show. Otherwise, I would say come to my Twitter account where I, I post everything, and that is either search Clarice Lockery or my actual handle is Clarice Lou because I couldn't fit my entire name into it. So I just typed as much as I could and went, that's fine. <laughs> thank you ever so much again. Oh, no, thank you so much for inviting me. No, you're welcome. <laughs> The Movie Bunker podcast is sponsored by Unity Brewing Co. Unity is a brewery committed to making flavorful, sophisticated and innovative beer. Their brewing methods combine traditional and modern techniques with a focus on elevating humble ingredients, always unfiltered and unpasteurized. Their beers are natural, flavorful and vegan friendly. Unity is a six barrel brewery based in Southampton in the UK and they're proud to be one of the growing number of breweries in the city and play a part in Southampton's booming craft beer scene. They have three beer tiers that that's core, limited and seasonal. And you can check all these out on their online shop. So visit unitybrewingco.com, have a look and place an order. That's unitybrewingco.com. So, great interview. Yes, I do like your interviews. People sound so much more um, erudite <laughs> and confident of their opinions than we do. So, the challenge, the top the five challenge, challenge that we're yeah. persisting on this other, furiously. persisting with furiously. Um, this was tricky, you fucker. Really? Well, yeah, because so many of these, so, like, in case they hadn't listened, my challenge was to pick five. Yeah, because it's a top five. No. Oh. To be honest, this is the five. I mean, yeah. you know, you had said, you know, was there any more that nearly made the list? No. No, no, no I struggled to find five. Oh, okay. um, so, uh, yeah, so this was the top five Disney films that we want to see made in, Disney animated films that we'd like to see made into a real life film. Like a live action adaptation, which is kind of, it fits in with what's happening it's at happening the moment. The, the real remake, world. But, remaking yeah. every goddamn film at the moment. So, the thing. reason why this is tricky is because of the Disney back catalogue, a lot of them are either already a popular subject, no. so um, you couldn't have Robin Hood. No, you couldn't. Sword in the Stone is the Arthurian legend and has been done. It's been done recently times. as well. Yeah, with yeah. The, boy, the kid who could be king. Yeah. Um, Pocahontas got redone by Avatar. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, couldn't do that. So Cinderella's been done. Alice in Wonderland's been done. Peter Pan's been done. Stephen Beauty's been done. The Jungle Book's been done. Robin Hood, you mentioned. We the Pooh's been fucking done. Yeah, yeah, it's been done. Um, Not particularly well either, I'd have to add. Nope. Um, top, top, so top. It Aladdin's I, being done. Beauty and the Beast has been done. The Lion King's being done. 
<laughs> and then you said I can't have any of the Pixar shit, so I can't have Toy Story or. So you have literally been left with what five? <laughs> like, like it's not, it's not. Yeah, it's a question of what the fuck is there. There are some there. There, there are some. some. So okay, right, come on, Num- get your shit together. Get on, num- num. <laughs> and I want castings as well. Right. Okay. I did think about this. Right. So oh, good. number five, mm-hmm. the Black Cauldron. Oh. Yes. So this film actually nearly bankrupted Disney. Oh. Really close. Like, um, 1985 it was made, right? And it was like millions of pounds they spent on this fucking thing. And um, it, like it's, it didn't make hardly any money back. But if you read the synopsis for the, the film, I'm not going to go through it, it's a fucking long synopsis. It's a great fantasy adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it would make a hugely wonderful um, either a trilogy of films you could do that because they do that with everything these days, um, or, or just a single standalone film. So yeah, it's a, it's a sort of a, a sword and sandals fantasy yeah, yeah, Lord yeah. of the Rings type thing. So it's very much got. I mean, I'm showing you the the covers. I don't, I don't know if you remember. Well, the I films. remember I had the sticker book. Oh bloody hell! I but, had the sticker book. Yeah, but it kind of came out with a bit of a whimper, didn't it? it As yeah. I remember it being good. I can't remember anything about the film, but <laughs> forty four million it cost to make. Why? Because they had to hand draw everything back then. There was no. Um, I think this is the first one that actually had some computer generated image. It did, yeah. So this is the first film to have some computer generated imagery in it. But in terms of actually creating these films, it used to be hugely expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they wanted to do computer generated image, they had to create like the hardware as well as the software to make the render, which they do pretty much all the time now. But mm-hmm. they've got it down to a finer art, and they make so much money these days. This um, one definitely is. It made twenty-one million out of Ooh. forty-four. So. They might want to reuse this just to say why we've spent 44 million on this. So we might as well. Yeah. So um, in terms of casting, we'd need a young, um, young protagonist up mm-hmm. front. So who could we have? How old is the character? The lead character. Young. You it's a young pig keeper. A young teen. It's a young teen. <sighs> it's difficult because we're not really we're not teens. Teeny poppers, are we? We're not in there with the kids. Don't know, I'm just trying to think. Oh, well, you would probably Justin Bieber. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> your answer to everything, Chris. Justin Bieber. Put Justin Bieber in it. Now I think he'd be younger than Justin Bieber. Maybe um, throw in the kid from the Umbrella Academy, the one that plays thirteen. You haven't seen it yet, but he's um he's brilliant. Him. Put him in it. Fucking nice. In the what? Sorry. The Umbrella Academy. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's yeah. A, a young boy in that. He's a brilliant, brilliant little actor in quite that. Quite easy to cast. I would have thought. There's lots of lots of unknowns I think is, there, the, yeah. is, is your best bet there so yeah so, so make the money on the you know save the money on the try, cast and yeah try and try and get some money that's one of that original 44 like reuse that one. that one that's a good one well done Matthew thanks mate plus it's anything that's not been made <laughs> yeah true true story number four uh, the rescuers I loved the rescuers as a kid do yeah. you remember it because actually yes of course I do and it's got the two mice yeah it's got like a sequel already as well hasn't it yeah so if they ever if it became popular then they can do the rescuers down under so how would this how would you do this would it be life no so, so a lot of the tricky stuff again with these Disney films is that a lot of the time they put the animals into people roles that have already been made so they, they had this sort of like rescue agency but it kind of works still you can have this uh, and the voice acting at the time was um, Bob Newhart and Eva Gabor who were quite famous at, the, mm-hmm. at that point um, and I thought so uh, if anyone not seen it what happens is a young girl and, and she's really vulnerable to stare and her voice I always remember her voice in the cartoon because she's like hey 
and she's got a little teddy bear and this mm-hmm. evil woman is um, uh, kept her captive and with these two large alligators you know, oh yeah and um, she manages to get a message in a bottle out and it makes its way all the way to the rescuers which is a small animal firm that uh, deal with rescuing people so obviously if we're going live action we can't have it anymore so we're going to go and actually have people rescue them from maybe like a shit agency that's just found this or just some people that mm-hmm. have found them that um, you know deal with so you would turn the animal characters into human beings yeah go proper live action no that's not a good idea do you not think why can't you just like make them CGI mice yeah. alright we'll go with mice again and CGI <laughs> fuck me then <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> Shut down in fucking flames. I thought we had to make this into live action, but I guess yeah, Disney aren't really doing that. They're just no, they're because they're, they're, Lion King be live action. Being, I think they would. You could the, the, how they do fur these days uh, on CGI characters. Oh, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal how they can do what they can do with the. Uh, oh, I think it would work. It would be very cute. Um, and I've lost the name of the person. Um, It'd be Newt, would it? Out of uh, Alien. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he mostly commanded me. Mostly. Um, the Bob Newhart character will be replaced by Steve Carroll. Steve Carroll. Steve <laughs> Carroll. Yeah, yeah. What about the woman? The woman. Joanna Lumley. <laughs> it would work. You don't have to cast every character. Not cast everyone. Unfair. So Steve oh. Carroll and ah. Oh, I don't know. I don't think it's a bad show, Jenna Lumley, really. But you want like a plummy Jennifer Saunders, maybe. Great, Just nailed it. Plummy um, and Penny. Penny will be played by Chloe Grace Moretz. Who cares? At this point, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Well done. That's a good one. Good Thanks. effort so far. <sighs> Number three. Come on, keep it up. Chop chop. Okay, this one's a bit of a cheat. A bit of a cheat. Sorry. Um, James and the Giant Peach. <sighs> I didn't know this is a Disney property. But it is. So, fuck you, I'm having it. Yeah, okay. Well, it's fine, it's been done, but not in live action. So, obviously, that's why it's on the list. That's what's on the list. <laughs> Although, does this count? Because it does start with live action, doesn't it? No, it's fine. With Joanna Lumley. Oh, is it? Yeah. So, this stop motion, isn't it? Yeah, it's mostly stop motion. It's a great film. But, yeah, no, it would work. Definitely would work. Yeah, James and Giant Peach. I think that would be nice. Um, you could have any young child. Yeah, that. you don't. Yeah, I mean, this is difficult for us to to. to and Sir Ian McKellen as uh, the caterpillar. Uh, he could voice any number of those. I love a peach. <laughs> peach, you say? And Patrick Stewart as the other. Make it so number one. Yeah, so that'd be great. I love. I'd like to watch that. Okay. Uh, in at number two. In at number two. Um, I actually watched this uh, for the first time, maybe for the first time, maybe for the second time. Um, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. I knew you were going to choose this. Did you know I was going to choose this? I knew it. Why? Because it's on a ship. A spaceship? Atlantis? It's underwater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's um, uh, voiced by Michael J. Fox in the cartoon. Derided archaeologist scientist yes. who believes in the um, existence of Atlantis and yes. the uh, highly advanced uh, race of people that used to live there um, and uh, goes on a ma- ma- fantastical adventure with a group of um, like mercenary type characters 
finds Atlantis, um, mercenary characters turn bad, escapes from Atlantis, uh, you know, saves Atlantis from um, certain doom, etc. Um, this would make a brilliant film. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it was a good cartoon and one I'd not really heard of, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it was. Um, it was. It was really good, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. got like you know enough twists and turns to keep the adults interested. In fact, you know, he's been updated to be more of an adult film anyway mm-hmm. um, in terms of who to play it I think we'd go with um, young Spider-Man Tom Holland yeah that's good as the uh, well, is he too young too young is he well, no that's, that's fine because he's, he's laughed at anyway because of his age and stuff so right. um, yeah and maybe Tommy Lee Jones as the main mercenary, Tommy Lee Jones as the mercenary guy the man with the ball bag face <laughs> yeah yeah but I, thought, um, I thought when you said that film, do you know what? Because I, it wasn't the one I thought. I thought you was it. You said Treasure Planet, but you didn't. You said Hunter Atlantis. At number one. <laughs> oh, <I see. laughs> yeah, no, Treasure Planet is brilliant, and and that was my final pick. Oh, mostly. sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, you know, if this section was called. Chris pisses on Matt's parade <laughs> then you fucking nailed it mate it's um, not every week I do that so don't worry yeah. <laughs> my job just pour scorn on everything you say uh, so yeah Treasure, Treasure Planet um, again it was I, I didn't know whether or not to pick this one or not because obviously it's just Treasure Island but set in space yeah yeah um, and has that been done before who like you know but in terms of what you know, the fantastical element and the special effects that they could do yeah it'd be amazing that's great film. Mm. it's got like uh, sort of mutanty characters isn't it and yeah kind of half the pirates are kind of half cyborgy kind of type of characters and they're like a Catwoman type thing isn't yeah, it yeah 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 so it's the second officer or whatever it is and lots of little robot kind of things flying about yeah you could make this amazing Bambi 2 mm-hmm. the other film the other film sorry that I would have included if it was me my challenge would have been The Princess and the Frog oh right one yes of their la- one of Disney's last I Proper. did think about it as well the fox and the hounds because oh, don't. that film is so sad and oh. you know in these modern times um, of veganism um, I can imagine that being jumped on by people that is a great film but in terms of what there's not a great deal of plot it's just two people become yeah. friends and it and also I was thinking of you know I was in my mind recasting these things as humans and that wouldn't have worked because you'd end up with a human hunting another human at the end. <laughs> you've missed you've missed a little bit of the premise of that, but it's fine. It's fine. So, um, so yeah. So, uh, Treasure Planet was the final one because just simply because this like very much like Atlantis: The Last Empire. That's why they were like my two and one, yeah. one and two. They were indisposable uh, because of the grandiose sci-fi nature of, that you could create with these and these wonderful worlds you could paint um, with those two films if you made them into a, a modern CGI-filled fun fest. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is actually how things go. Y- yeah, I mean, <laughs> as I say, looking down this list, there isn't a fucking great deal left because I've heard that they're doing not. The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, so, and also, leads me to my challenge for you. Yeah, now I suppose so, it's my turn again. Yeah, so my... Um, for tra- however long this lasts. <laughs> 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 so the Treasure Planet made me think of top five time-displaced films. The fuck? <laughs> right, so Treasure Island yeah. become Treasure Planet in a sci-fi redux. Oh. Yeah? You... We'll have to find five other films. 
that you could set in a different timeline. Set in time, so you could take Star Wars and set it back in pirate times if you wanted to. Okay. Not anymore because I've said that one out loud. I'm but you, I mean, it's kind of already. Hasn't, it is yes, already. I mean, it's, you know, Battle Amongst the Stars. There's not a lot of original plot lines, no, isn't there? No, no. So, you know, uh, but, you know, hate's got hate. So, Land Before Time <laughs> <laughs> would be. Uh, uh, the Land After uh, Time. Land after Time. <laughs> we'll yeah. set in the future with aliens. <laughs> yeah, if you like. Wow. I've got some out there uh, things to think about. So, yeah. again, you sent me one that makes me. It just involves me not looking at a list and picking out things I actually have to put work into this. Yeah, you have to think. You have to think outside the box. And then, Man, you know, maybe right. we'll make some money out of this one day. You never know. You never know. Shaun of the Dead in Victorian times. That'd be brilliant. It's already done, though, isn't it? How have they done Shaun of the Dead in Victorian times? They've done times? that Jane Austen zombie flick, haven't they? That's not the fucking same, is it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, that's fine. I'm going to look at every genre and pick something out. Don't worry. Don't yeah. you worry, son. I got this in the bag. Well, that's a great top five. Yours was good. You you rose to the challenge, and I'm pleased. And mine, I've got a lot to think about. So there, a great one. Thank you. A great episode. Another great episode in the bag. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. If you are listening, oh god, yes. Um, <laughs> like to subscribe. We, we we live and die by reviews and uh, things like that. So just make sure you leave a nice five star review and leave a review write a few words about how good this podcast is and that you're enjoying listening to it because it will help us like climb the tree and then it might pop into other people's recommendations and then and it might stop us stopping well yeah it's inevitable at some point we will have to say this isn't worth it uh, so um we don't want to do that yet because it's, it's a good fun so but well yes like subscribe write a review etc uh, etc et if you feel that you can but yeah thanks ever so much for listening and we'll see you next week with our episode which will be the film oh pompeii pompeii cheerio bye <laughs>